Hey Icon, Josh here, and uh, I'm excited for us to get back into our series on rest. As you know, we took a little break from our series on rest in order to explore together the story of Icon so far and where we're headed into the future. And it was great, but I, I'm ready to get back into this series. So let, let me pray and, and we'll jump in. Father, I, I thank you for the heart of Jesus that receives us as we are. God, I thank you that we can come to Jesus as we are without fear of rejection. And I, I pray today that for me and for my friends here at Icon, that your spirit would really convince our hearts of how hospitable, how accommodating, how gracious the heart of Jesus is, and that we would, uh, we would respond to his invitation to come to him. We would refuse the barriers that were so fearful of rejection or whatever it may be, and that your spirit would allow those barriers to slowly fall away and that we'd come to Jesus with freedom wholeheartedly, God. Father, would you do that in us today? We love you, God, and we entrust this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so something to know about me and my wife is that we love Halloween. Uh, I, my favorite holiday is Christmas, and for a long time, I didn't really enjoy Halloween, especially, you know, as a kid, I was never able to, never allowed to go trick-or-treating, and uh, and then you get into your teen years, and it's like, whatever, it's just, I don't want candy anymore, uh, so you don't really enjoy it, but whenever me and my wife met, we uh, we began to do a lot of things for Halloween, and, and part of that is because she's a, a hair and makeup artist, and so that tends really well to be able to dress up and do all these different costumes, and so every year that we've been married we've been doing some sort of like extravagant costume for Halloween and she she goes all out I mean one year she she dressed up as Voldemort from uh, Harry Potter and I would show you a picture but it was it was Voldemort it was the face she put on a bald cap and she looked just like him and so it was really creepy uh, but the, the first costume we ever did together uh, was when we went to a, a party while we were dating and I was dressed up as Tom Hanks from Castaway and she was dressed up as Wilson, the volleyball. Uh, and if you've seen that movie, you can, you can kind of see a picture here. I'm a little bit raggedy looking like Tom Hanks and my wife obviously put a ton of pillows uh, in her shirt so that she could look like a volleyball. And uh, if you've seen that movie, you, you know the relationship that goes on between Tom Hanks and Wilson. So Tom Hanks, uh, spoiler alert, is a castaway who's uh, gone through a plane crash and is isolated on a deserted island. And one of the things that washes ashore is this Wilson volleyball that he begins to attach to and make a connection with. It's really weird, but it's also really fascinating to see how human beings will attach meaning or connection to anything if they're alone and isolated. And throughout the movie, he continues to get closer and closer with this imagined friend that he calls Wilson. And there comes a scene in the movie, it's one, it's one of the classic scenes, to where Tom Hanks has finally built a raft that he can go out into sea and hopefully just leave his deserted island on the, the small chance that maybe he'll run into a boat. And in this scene, they're, they're, they hit some waves and Wilson gets thrown off the raft. And he gets lost to the waves. And Tom Hanks freaks out. He, he freaks out and he's screaming, Wilson! Wilson! And he, he's, he's emotionally wrought because this friend that he has is now lost to him. But what makes it even more emotionally 
triggering or, or grabbing for us is that Tom Hanks thinks that Wilson has left the boat because of something he's done, because they got in an argument before they left the shore. And so he's screaming out, not just crying for Wilson to come back, but he's saying, I'm sorry, Wilson, I'm sorry. And it's emotionally grabbing. It's a, it, it sucks you in, even though you know that it's just a volleyball. You see with this isolated man that he thinks the only friend he had has now left him because of something he did. And that fear of losing someone we love because of something we've done, that's the, we all have that fear and that's the reason why that scene is so compelling or so grabbing because we know what Tom Hanks is expressing there. We know that we are all afraid that the ones that we love most will one day give up on us will one day reject us, will one day realize just how deeply flawed we are and that they will leave. We all know how deeply flawed we are and if we we don't know that, then that's actually our our deep flaw, a a lack of humility or self-awareness. And because we feel this innate brokenness in us, we are worried that we will push the people we love away. It's too much for others to handle. Do you feel like that? Do you feel like too much, too dramatic, too broken, too selfish, too incapable? Are you, with your own self-awareness and knowledge of yourself, do you feel like too much for others to handle? And that one day, when they realize who you really are, what you really are, that they will leave. The ones that you've built the most emotional connection with and you have the most relational capital with, the ones who you depend on in life, that they will one day give up on you. And you'll be left there in the waves like Tom Hanks and Castaway shouting out for them to come back to you and apologizing because of some wrong that you think has pushed them away. That that fear is what we're going to address in our rest series today. Is that the heart of Jesus receives everyone. You cannot push him away. You can't even get into relationship with him and then fear that he's going to run. Because as we'll see today, from the very outset, he is hospitable in his heart. He is receiving and gracious. No matter what you are, you can come to him. As we'll see, that fear we have of one day being pushed away, those who we love because of how messed up we are, that fear is completely misplaced and inappropriate in our relationship with Jesus because of the fact that he knows us from the start and there at the start receives us still. So let's, let's jump into it. Today we're looking at John 6 and we're going to start in verse 35 and go down to verse 37. Starting in verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So Jesus starts off this little section that we're exploring with an invitation. Come to me. 
Come to me because I have something to give to you that you desperately need. Jesus says that he is the bread of life. The bread of life. What, what does that mean? That means that Jesus is the only thing that can not only get us by, but bring us into flourishing. Relationship with him is what we were meant for above everything else. And so in this context, as the Jewish leaders were looking to their own righteousness or even overthrowing Rome so that they can have their own uh, nation back, Jesus stands up in the middle of that and says, hey, all of what you're looking for, for satisfaction, to meet that hungering need in you for something more, to be a part of something, I am that. And I'm inviting you. I'm opening myself up to you in order that you would come to me. And so it starts off with this, this massive invitation for whoever wants to be satisfied can come. Whoever wants to no longer thirst can come. But, but the problem is, is that for us, even at the start of this invitation, we see how we, we tend to choose substitutes like the Jewish leaders that, that's happening in this text. They had all these other options on what they could seek to satisfy them. And one of the best ways to cut short the invitation of Jesus is to, instead of running, instead of taking his invitation as the bread of life, instead nibbling on all of these other things of the world that will slowly get you by, that will never lead you into flourishing, but will surely get you by for a little bit. We, we, we choose substitutes so often. We choose what you might call the spiritual gluten-free option of the bread of life. I just got done with Whole30 last week and the gluten-free part of it was one of the hardest parts because it's not the same. It is not the same and I get the health benefits and all that and I felt you know less inflamed or whatever from not having gluten but in terms of how it feels with a, a satisfying meal it is not the same. It is not the same as real bread, real grain that can satisfy your stomach. And for so many of us, we choose the options that don't really satisfy us deep down. We run to work, we run to relationships or sex or even food itself, and we try to fill ourselves with a sense of meaning, a sense of purpose, a sense of uh, satisfaction with all of these little things in the world, all the while Jesus stands with his arms wide with this invitation. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, then you will be satisfied. Then you will no longer thirst. That's the invitation that Jesus gives. His heart is already opening up with this invitation. But, but with this invitation, Who's actually invited in? And how, how can we know what we'll receive whenever we take Jesus up on his invitation? Look at verse 36 and 37. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So the invitation of Jesus is opened wide for all to come. And then here, Jesus begins to tease out 
what that coming to him looks like. And first what he does is he identifies for us a group of people who will come to him, right? All that the Father gives me will come to me. All that God the Father has chosen to give over to the Son will come to Jesus. This is the idea that is sometimes difficult for us of election. That God in His grace chooses those who will come to Jesus, not because of anything that is in them, but because of His own gracious, merciful choice. That means that before we even have the inclination to come to Jesus, our path to Jesus has been laid out and paved before us. The Father has has chosen graciously to give rebellious sinners over to His Son. And that decision of God is secure. So Jesus is here. He's, he's, standing on, uh, he's standing with his arms open with an invitation to come and be satisfied to him. And then he assures us that all who the Father has chosen will indeed come to him. That's a, that's a huge comfort to know that God out of grace and mercy has decided to make your life's destiny caught up in coming to Jesus. That God has, in His grace and mercy, decided that you will come to Jesus. And His decision is effective. It doesn't miss anyone. All who the Father has given to the Son will come to Him. Hard stop. End of story. There there are no lost sheep. There is no one that has been given over to Jesus who will miss the train to say. All who the Father has chosen. This is, this is a comfort for those of us who have loved ones who have maybe not come to Jesus yet. Or have even in their current season of life seemed to have walk, walked away from Jesus. Listen, the, the point of election in the Bible and what, and what Jesus is saying here is not to sit back and be anxious about whether or not someone is quote-unquote chosen But in order for us to have rock-solid hope that our God graciously chooses and when He chooses, it's effective. And so when we get caught up in all the anxiety of loved ones who've not come yet to Jesus, we don't have to worry ourselves or burden ourselves about, you know, has, has God chosen this person or has God chosen me? I feel like I'm falling away. That is not for us to decide. That's not for us even to discover what is for us is to see a God who is gracious, who looks at all of mankind, all of which, as Romans says, has turned away, has gone astray. No one seeks God. And in that pool of rebellious sinners, God has said, I am choosing to make my grace known. I'm, to to these, this people, I'm going to pull you out of that, and I'm going to choose to make my mercy known to you. None of which none of which is deserved. That's that's a comfort for us. Because we don't have to figure out whether we're a part of the elect or whether this person is a part of the elect. That's not for us to do. What is for us to do is to have rock-solid hope that all who God has chosen, which is His own prerogative, His own mercy, will come to Him. Which drives mission which encourages conversation, 
which uh, compels us toward seeking and loving the one that we know has not turned to Jesus. Because we know that if God has decided to save this person, there is nothing that can get in the way. If the Father has given this person to Jesus, that person will come. Mission is energized by God's gracious choice. It gives us hope in this invitation that people actually will come. We can stand here in Seattle and say, come to Jesus. Come and receive the bread of life. Come and receive the water that you will drink of and never thirst. We can stand and shout that to Seattle precisely because we know that there are men and women and children in this city who have not yet turned to Jesus, but who God in his gracious choice has said, you will turn. You will come to your to the Son, Jesus Christ. All who have been given to Jesus will come to him. That's an important part of the invitation. It gives us confidence in the heart of God that he of his own choice has done this, which tells us already as we're entering into coming to Jesus, the safety in which we're coming. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Jesus says, not only has the Father given, given, given a load of people to me to save and to shepherd, Jesus says, but also all who, who, who come to him, Jesus will never cast out. There's no contradiction between God's gracious choice and Jesus' open heart. All who come to him. All who run to him. Not only is our invitation to come to Jesus secure in the rock-solid hope of God's gracious choice, but when we get there, what happens when we get there, when we do come to Jesus, we are assured of acceptance. Jesus will never cast out. No matter what, no matter who it is, no matter how far they've run, Jesus will never cast out. No matter what you've done, no matter what you are doing, no matter what you want to be doing, Jesus will never cast out when you come to him. And and this is one of the, the points in the New Testament where the Greek language behind this is, is a little bit more useful than the English language. The English language is really not, uh, it doesn't really have the words to capture all of what's going on in a lot of other languages, but specifically here in the Greek. And in the Greek, what Jesus says when he says, I will never cast out, you see in the Greek that there's really a double emphatic or a, a double negative to where the, the best translation for what Jesus is saying here is that, Whoever comes to me, I will never, comma, never, ever, comma, cast out. Jesus is doubling down. Jesus is saying, I've opened up my heart to you. I've invited you to come and take of the satisfying bread of life. I've told you that the Father's heart has chosen so many rebellious sinners to come to me and they will come to me. And now I'm saying that when you come to me, I'm assuring that what you get when you get there is acceptance. It will never be rejection. Unlike every other relationship, Jesus doesn't audition us before he accepts us. 
Jesus feels no need to, to vet you. Even though that's the experience of so many of our other relationships, right? So many of our other relationships. And it's understandable because we know that this person is just as broken as I am. And so I, I want to uh, protect myself from any potential hurt or harm. But that, that experience begins to, to just shape us into what we can expect when we come to someone. Because we're always auditioning each other, we think that Jesus does the same. Our, 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 our way of life in 2021 has conditioned us to, to expect conditions when we come to someone. For example, the, the, the online dating world. Online dating has exploded in the last decade, for sure, but, but really in the last five years, it has taken off. In just five years, the online dating industry has gone from an industry worth $1.7 billion to now, in 2021, $3 billion a year. It's projected to grow even beyond that in the next five years to grow almost another 100% to up around $6 billion a year in revenue. And I want to ask the question, because it's such an important part of our culture and even how our culture thinks about relationships, why has it exploded? Why, why is the online dating scene so critical to modern day dating? And I want to say, I, I don't think it's just because the technology is available. Any, anytime a technology comes into our lives as humans, we first, we don't just go to it because it's like, oh, this is cool. There's something useful about it that we can use for our own intentions. And what I want to say is this, the online dating boom in our world, it's, it's happened because unlike before, you can now vet who you take out. You can now vet who you, who you take the time to, to get to know. But before all of this, sure, you, you could ask around with mutual friends about this person, but now you can see all of their interests. You can see everything they're about. You can have algorithms run their magic in order to ensure that you and another person are an actual match, that you have chemistry. Why? Why do we want that? Not just because we don't want to waste our time with bozos and dummies. It's, it's because it adds a level of insurance that I will click with this person and therefore not be rejected. It's a little bit more of an insurance in our relationships. The online dating world has boomed in our culture, and I'm not knocking it. I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear, you, uh, hear me say that. But I'm saying that the reason why it's boomed is because it's given us one more barrier to the possibility of rejection. First, we get to know this person on a screen. First, we get to see their interests, what their story is. We get to let algorithms work their magic. Dating is already hard enough, already scary enough. And so we use this technology to make sure that we're both not wasting our time and not taking an unnecessary risk of rejection. And that risk is never there with Jesus. That risk is never there with Jesus. We don't have to, Jesus doesn't have to vet us. 
the ways in which the online dating world and really just dating in general, even relationships in general in our culture, the ways that that has shaped us to think that this person will first have conditions before I can come to them. We've got to let that go when we come to Jesus because Jesus doesn't vet you. He doesn't audition you. He doesn't need an algorithm in order to figure out whether you two will click. He always welcomes you in. If if I can say this reverently and metaphorically, Jesus always swipes right. Always. Always invites you into relationship. Always invites you to come to him. No matter what. And so as as you walk through life in this culture and you are conditioned to think that every other relationship that you have to start has has conditions when you get there. Jesus stands here, having opened his arm with an invitation to come and receive the bread of life. And he says that if you come, you will be received, no matter what. Not the people who have it a little bit better in their moral life. Not the people who vote a certain way. Not the people who have more money or even who have less money. No one is more qualified or any less disqualified than anyone else. What matters is not the state of your heart when you come to Jesus, but what matters is the heart of Jesus. That he receives you and he accepts you in no matter what. And so I want to ask you today, what are your excuses for not coming to him? What what fault do you find in yourself that has so blown up in your heart and mind as to think that it is what will cause rejection to come out of the heart of Jesus? That you can't come to him. You can't run to him. That you are the exception to this promise. In what ways have you in a weird form of pride, wallowed in shame, accused by your conscience, allowed all of who you are and the failure of who you are, the failure of who you think you are, who you think you will be, you've allowed those things to keep you from Jesus. All the while, Jesus stands here and says, come to me. I got the bread of life. Come and get what you need. Do not be satisfied with the substitutes. Be assured that God has chosen people and they will come to him. And when you come to me, you will receive acceptance. No matter what. No matter what. There's there's an old dead guy named John Bunyan, Bunyan, which is, he's one of my favorite authors. And he he wrote uh, The Pilgrim's Progress, which is, Uh, the best-selling book of all time right behind the Bible. Uh, So you can trust a lot of what he says. Uh, And he wrote an entire book just on this one verse of all all that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And I want to point out how John Bunyan talks about this promise of acceptance. Listen to this. John Bunyan says, For this word will never cast out, cuts the throat of all objections. And it was dropped by the Lord Jesus for that very end and to help the faith that is mixed 
with unbelief. And it is, as it were, the sum of all promises. Neither can any objection be made upon the unworthiness that you find in yourself that this promise will not or cannot quiet. But I am a great sinner, say you. I will never cast out, says Christ. But I am an old sinner, say you. I will never cast out, says Christ. I am a hard-hearted sinner, say you. I will never cast out, says Christ. But I am a backsliding sinner, say you. But I will never cast out, says Christ. But I have served Satan all my days, say you. I will never cast out, says Christ. But I've sinned against light, say you. I will never cast out, says Christ. But I have sinned against mercy, say you. I will never cast out, says Christ. But I have no good thing to bring with me, say you. I will never cast out, says Christ. This promise was provided to answer all objections and does answer them. So what's, what's your objection? Identify it. Admit it. What is the thing in your life, in your past, in your desires, in your dysfunctional relationships, what are the things that you think will cause rejection to come out of the heart of Jesus? Admit those things. Admit what those are. Those barriers to receiving the acceptance of Jesus. And come to Him. Come to Him and see that He will receive you. That He will, just as repetitive as this quote is with John Bunyan, that He will say, I will never cast out. Never, ever again, as the Greek says. It's this, this promise, this invitation cuts the throat of all objections, which means you can identify those objections without fear. You can confess them, admit them, and say, this is what I find in myself that makes me afraid that when I come to Jesus, if I invest in that relationship, I'm eventually going to be rejected. This is the promise. This is the promise that cuts the throat of those objections, that leaves them powerless and unable to uh, keep us back from Jesus any longer. So what is your objection? No matter how trapped you feel, whether you think you'll be trapped in this sin for decades to come, whether you think your hardness of heart disqualifies you for coming to Jesus, whether you think that your past trauma makes you damaged goods to Jesus, all of it, none of it, all of it can never cause Jesus to close his heart to you. None of it. None of it can cause Jesus to close his heart. So we, we you know, sometimes we talk about this reality called the, the perseverance of the saints, which is this idea that because, again, from this text, God has chosen people, he will protect their faith and have them make it home safely to glory. It's called the perseverance of the saints. But what we see here in John 6 is what you might call the perseverance of the heart of Jesus. His heart does not tire of you or close to you. And so I, I, I want to invite you this week. This whole series is around rest 
which so much is connected to receiving Jesus as the bread of life, which means responding to his invitation, I want to call you to respond this week. I want to call you to identify the objections that you think will keep you away from Jesus, that you think will close his heart towards you, that you think trumps his hospitable, accommodating, merciful heart. I want you to identify those this week, and I want you to test out the heart of Jesus. Give it a shot. Go to Jesus and see that this promise stands true no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. And so my, my call to you this week, if you, if you want to experience rest in Jesus, test out the heart of Jesus. Go to him. Read the word. Pray. Journal. Confess your sins to a friend. And watch the ways in which Jesus' heart envelops you, invites you in with warmth and with mercy. Test out the heart of Jesus and see that you can be a part of that all that will come to Jesus. And that when you come to him, you will never be rejected. Fear falls flat at the promise of acceptance in Jesus. We don't have to scream out like Tom Hanks did, I'm sorry, in order to restore a relationship. We simply have to come to him and he will receive us with grace and mercy. He will receive us back like like is shown in the prodigal father with his arms wide and his eyes sharp on the horizon, ready to receive you back, ready to shut down all of your excuses about why you ran and what you went to go do. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't bring those things up. He just says, I'm so glad you're back. Let me show you my accepting, hospitable, and gracious heart. When we do that, when we come to Jesus, we can have rest. So let's come to him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your mercy and your grace, God. The way that Jesus' heart is ever open to us, especially when we live in a world where it seems like the slightest sin, the slightest infraction can close the heart of others. We rejoice, God, that the heart of Jesus never closes to us, is always open, always ready to receive us back. And so I pray that this promise today, God, would help us to come to you, Lord, would help us to run to Jesus with the full expectation that we will be received. Father, would you, would you do that in us? Would you cause us to come? We thank you that you've invited us in. Don't let lies or barriers keep us away from you any longer. Get us out of wallowing in shame. Free us from the burden of a pained conscience and let us run with freedom to the open heart of Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. Now, we're going to do a short time of response. And every single week, we do the same thing. First, we want to do a moment of silence. And again, I would just encourage you in this time to begin the work of identifying whatever objections you feel. And even now, beginning to test out the heart of Jesus, seeing that he will indeed receive you. And then we're going to give. 
We want to be generous and open with all that God has given us, mirroring to our members here at ICON and to the city at large that we can have open hearts with all that God has given us because he has given us his own son who has an open heart. So we want to be generous so that our ministry in Seattle can extend the invitation of Jesus' heart to the rest of the city. And then finally, we're we're going to do communion. We're going to remember that the heart of Jesus is open to us to receive us, and we can know that when we get there, we don't have to have cleaned ourselves up enough because Jesus has already taken our place. The way to his open heart has been opened through the the opening of his flesh. The pouring out of his blood has cleansed us, and so we can come to him without fear. Let's do that now.